the start of something exciting. It's not the end and it doesn't mean that you've failed and it doesn't mean that life is over. It's actually an opportunity. Welcome to today's podcast episode. We are answering your questions. And when I say we, I am referring to myself and also to today's guest, who is Jacinta Tynan. Now, Jacinta is a journalist, an author, a former news presenter. She's a mum. She's a columnist. She's also the founder of the Spiritual Book Club, and she happens to have a diploma in positive mental health. Jacinta works as a life coach and really loves to support women in finding their purpose. Now, Jacinta and I connected years ago when she reached out and asked if I would share with her some of my experience in becoming a single mum. And I did. And she shared some of those parts uh, of the interview that her and I had in her book, which is titled The Single Mother's Social Club. And it's all about inspiration and advice on embracing single parenthood. So we first connected all those years ago and I've been meaning, like I've been meaning to have Jacinta on the podcast. And finally, the other week, I was like, oh, that's who I need to reach out to because I had so many questions come through surrounding the end of relationships, surrounding being a single parent, stigma and challenges and the doubts, but also the good side of things as well. We weren't able to answer every single question that was submitted, but I did try and pick the ones that were submitted the most. So hopefully these uh, questions and um, these answers will be really helpful for some of you listening. Even if you're not in the situation of going through a relationship breakdown, even if you are not, and I would say, especially, like, especially if you're not a single parent, I think this episode will be incredibly insightful In terms of what other women are going through, we talk about how the invitations can dry up. We talk about really tricky questions that you might get asked at the school gate amongst a myriad of other things. I think this is going to be an episode that everyone will be able to take something from, even if you haven't lived through this experience, because unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on uh, which end of the stick you grab, but the reality, the reality is a lot of relationships do end and people are trying to navigate this space and it's really challenging when children are involved. And so whilst this might not be your reality, it's going to help you if someone that you love is going through this or has been through this. This is an episode I would really appreciate you sharing with anyone else in your life, you know, copy and paste, send the link on, take a screenshot, all of that stuff, because we do speak really, really candidly in today's podcast episode. So let's get into my conversation with the wonderful Jacinta Tynan. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Jacinta, thank you so much for agreeing to take time out of your day to help me answer these questions that have been submitted via Instagram. It's such a pleasure to be here with you, Kylie, and thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Now, let's get straight into it. The first question that came through and comes through quite often is, how do you know it's time to end a relationship? I get that question a lot too funny, isn't it? (laughs) Because it is funny because I think you know innately. I think everybody knows when time's up, but you don't want to face it. And you do ask a lot of other people because you're seeking that validation. I think really speaking generally, we all want to stay because when we set out to have children with somebody else, different if you've been a solo parent by choice, but if you have children with somebody else, you don't go into that thinking it's going to end. You want to have children with the 
the other parent and raise those children together. So when it comes to an impasse and you realise that there is no way you can do that, it's a really hard decision to make. So I understand why people ask that question. Every circumstance is different, of course, for for any mother who, who chooses to leave a relationship with the father of their children. Uh, we're talking about heterosexual couples, of course, in this instance. You can pretty much assume that she had no other choice because staying in a partnership, as I mentioned, I think is the preferred option if it's a functional and loving union. Just do the maths, right? <laughs> to have another adult in the house, it's, it is easier in most circumstances. Uh, so most mothers will only leave or break up a family as a last resort. And it's a really, really difficult decision to make because it has lifelong consequences. It's not just impacting you, but it's changing the trajectory of your child or children's lives forever. And that's an enormous weight to bear. I know I felt that enormous weight of that decision I was making. So a lot of women might relate to this and you might too, Kylie, but I would make deals with myself. So I would sort of trying to put off the inevitable. I would make these deals of, all right, well, I'll, I'll do it when they're this age or, or I'll just get them to primary school. And you make these kind of, um, yeah, well, you make these arrangements with your brain, but really you know that that's not an option. I have um, a friend who who waited till the kids had done their HSC, and that's actually a thing. It's called the post-HSC divorce where you're sort of hanging in there. And then for me, obviously, there are a lot of factors that finally gave me the courage to make the call to go, but I remember I consulted a child psychologist just by myself, not with the kids, and I asked her about the best way to navigate uh, my young boys going through, I have two young boys, going through the situation we were in. And she said to me, something like, your children deserve to see you as the woman that you are. And when she said that, I, it really triggered me. I was really emotional. And then it became really clear to me that that it's like I couldn't unhear it. I couldn't stay anymore because I needed my boys to see me as as the woman that I really was, not the woman who's hanging in there trying desperately to make something work. Yeah, and you said last resort there, and I think that a lot of women will be able to relate to that. They feel as though they have to exhaust every other potential avenue. They've got to throw everything at it because they know that it's such a big thing to go through. And once you start going down that path, you can't really turn around and undo any of the damage. So I think for so many people, they do stay stuck on that thought of, do I stay? Do I go? Do I stay? Do I go? Because it's like, once this ball starts rolling, that's it. Yeah. People often say that they stay in a marriage for the kids. And that was actually really common in our parents' generation. I think my parents did that actually for to a point, but then you know, unless you get some good counselling, unless people are willing to change their behaviours and work on their triggers and all of that, then it might get to a point where actually the best thing you can do for your children is to leave. And that's what happened to me. I realised that to stay was not doing them a service and I had, you have to think big picture, you have to play the long game in making such a huge decision uh, to break up a family and my biggest concern was feeling responsible for my children's emotional well-being because I'd changed the course of their lives and I was asking them to trust me, not not actually asking them because they were too young, but in setting this up I was had to think forward and think, and I hope hopefully a lot of women will relate to this, you have to think forward Right now it seems too hard to leave, but how is this going to look in 10 years? And is this the best thing for them that I actually make this really hard decision and uproot all our lives and pull the rug out from under all of us because I know it's going to be the right thing in the long term? Gee, that's a oh, such a hard thing to, to decide and you're the only one making that decision. Well, I guess when it comes to relationships, it is a two-person decision. And something I found really interesting over the last couple of years is that so many people have made assumptions over whose choice it was to end a relationship and whose choice it wasn't. And I think it's really worth also mentioning that for some people, their relationship will be ending and it's not what they want. And that's a whole other layer of grief, I imagine, to actually make space for the end of a relationship and a separation and make space for this grief 
of losing something that you don't want to end. Yeah, so you, yeah, the first question you asked me was about how do you make that decision to leave? So we've, we've been through that, but when you are somebody that that doesn't want it to end, I haven't been there. Uh, I, as you say, imagine that is a whole another extra layer of grief, different, different kind of grief. And I get asked about that in, in my book, The Single Mother's Social Club. I interviewed lots and lots of women uh, from all different circumstances who are single mothers. And so that, that are, they are people who are separated and divorced, but also widows, also single mothers by choice. And I interviewed you too, of course, Carly, for the book, and you gave me some wonderful insights. But the women who the relationships ended when they didn't want them to end, what I will say is huge grief and huge upheaval as they sit there trying to come to terms with this bomb that's gone off in their lives. But what every single one of them said in the end was that they were glad it happened. Isn't that extraordinary? That was like a common theme. I didn't hear from anybody. I'm sure they were out there, but I didn't hear from anybody who was still resenting that situation. They might be resenting the circumstances and, and the fallout from that, but it ends up being the best thing for everybody. And that is because if you're in a relationship where the other person's not fully in, you don't want to be in that either. That's good for nobody. It's not good for your kids either. It's not a good role model for your kids to see uh, that as being a definition of love when somebody's not fully in. So if somebody else is the one making the decision, if your partner makes that call, it will be, it might be an absolute shock. But it's the best thing for everyone. Sounds cliched, but it, but it is. And you'll come to realize that. Okay. Another question that was submitted. Is it normal to second guess your, sorry, excuse me. Is it normal to second guess yourself if it's your choice to separate? It's absolutely normal because it's not a decision that comes easily with all the things we've discussed before. It's not a decision you're going to make and that's it. You will make those deals with yourself. You will go back and forth. You might try counselling. You'll have lots of conversations with friends. As women, we do that, don't we? And you'll journal and you'll you'll cry. You'll do all the things and go in. Well, I would advise you go within uh, and really uh, investigate whether this is the right decision to make. So the second guessing, no, it's about 500th guessing <laughs> and it could take some time. And some people leave and come back and all of those things. But at some point, if this is the best course for you and your children, I think you know, I think you know deep down. And But I would recommend getting professional support to make a decision like that. Go and see yeah. a therapist, go and see a psychologist. It's not a decision you have to make by yourself. It's a really tumultuous and emotional time. And particularly if you do have children, I think that seeing your children be impacted is one of the things that triggers a lot of us to go, oh my gosh, have I done the right thing? Have I done the wrong thing? What's happening here? I mean, there are so many reasons. There might be, uh, you know, you might second guess yourself because your kids are having a hard time, or you might second guess yourself because all of a sudden you realize you're no longer being invited places that you used to go. You lose friends or you lose your extended family on your ex-partner's side. Like there are so many moments that I think happen, particularly in that first year, where you do find yourself going, have we done the right thing here? Yes, I think what happens is in in a situation like this is we pull if we, if we are the one that's making that decision to leave, or even if we are if if we're on the receiving end of that, you find yourself in often in a new a new home. Quite often, in my case, I had to leave home, so there is that. And or if you're in your own home and suddenly the father of your children is gone and you it's it's like a reckoning and that is when life starts again and I thought that when I made that decision and moved out of home that life would begin then and it was like the hard part over off we go I'm sorry to report that it is not like that that there's there's so many challenges after leaving for a lot of people there's the emotional side of it and the grief i done all that before. I'd made that decision long before. Um, but then there's the financial hit. And unfortunately, most single mothers, as we know, will take a financial hit. That's almost unavoidable unless you've got a huge cash pool. And that's the same for 
any situation of how you arrive at being a single mother. It's really tough financially. And then there's the stigma. There's a huge stigma still around being a single mother. People don't talk about it as much. It's not as overt, but it's there. I felt it. And everyone I spoke to for the book felt it, feels it uh, daily, being left out of things and being judged. And so there are so many things to contend with as we go on and it is really only the start of it. But I don't want that to turn anybody off because there's also so many upsides of single motherhood which we can talk about as well. And I wrote about those in the Single Mother Social Club because I wanted this to be an uplifting book about how this is the start of something exciting. It's not the end and it doesn't mean that you've failed and it doesn't mean that life is over. It's actually an opportunity. Yeah, and there actually was a question that was submitted about how to handle that experience of losing the family home. And it's really hard and I get it because I think for a lot of us, we grew up with this idea of you get married, you have kids, the Australian dream, you buy yourself a house, you get yourself all set up. And when you're looking down the barrel of losing that, it's really confronting because it's not just the end of the relationship, it's the end of the dream, it's the end of the future that you thought was guaranteed. And as you said, it's the end of those things, but it's the introduction of often a financial hit, the financial disparity, all of the frustration and stress that could come along with that. So when it comes to losing the family home, do you have any advice for our listeners on how they can make peace with that? It's about the long game again. One of the things that I that kept me in the situation I was in, which was not healthy for anybody, that kept me there for longer than I should have was, I'll be honest, and it's, it's hard to admit, but it was the home. Uh, there were many other things, but and you know, m- making sure I'd made the right decision, but I kept coming back to, oh, but I'm going to lose my home. You know, there's well, of such course, a- because we make this space, and it's so important to us. Yeah, and and financially as well, all my money had gone into this home. I'd owned two investment units that I'd bought in my twenties and thirties, being really sensible, and I'd put all the money into this home, and I was about to walk away from it, and the the home that my children had known, and all of those things, emotional, logistical, financial, all of the reasons. But in the end, it became so untenable for me to stay. And this is where I come back to getting professional support because in seeing a therapist at the time, uh, it was pointed out to me, and it sounds it sounds uh, naive to say this because you would think, why do you need a professional to point this out? But sometimes we do because we're too, too in it. But to point out to me that in the scheme of life, the home is not going to matter. It's about the children's well-being and their emotional well-being and my emotional well-being because all of that was suffering just so I could cling on to this idea of a family and this idea of a house. It has been hard. I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's been really hard losing that home because I've had to start again and I'm renting and at this stage in my life I, I didn't see that coming. I'd prepared myself. I had mitigated myself against that by being financially sensible in my 20s and 30s. There's been a lot of fallout from this, but I won't change it. I wouldn't change it. And I know I sound like I'm speaking for myself, but I'm hoping people hear this and it resonates with them. But at the same time, you have to get your ducks in a row. So I wouldn't say just pull the plug and go. You've got to be sensible about that. Get your ducks in a row. Get your finances in order. Get the advice from the people you need to see. A lawyer, if you have to, you can actually have free consultations with many lawyers. There's a legal aid service as well. And and speak to accountants, speak to mortgage brokers if you have to definitely get some psychological support and just make sure everything's lined up and even if you need to put money into your own bank account whatever you have to do to have that ready and then when it's time to go then at least you're going prepared uh, so just in other circumstances of course women would be, would be hearing this and saying I don't have the luxury of that I'm in danger in that case of course don't stay around all of these things that I'm talking about come with caveats but don't let this is this is what i would say in summary don't let the house or the financial concerns be the thing that keeps you stuck in something that's unhealthy for everybody just don't let that be the thing it's it's one thing but don't let it be the the, the thing that holds you back because then you will look back in years to come and who knows where you'll be in this obviously probably worse uh, situation emotionally and you might think well I kept the house but at what cost and then there's no turning back then yeah 
And sometimes accepting it doesn't mean that you're happy about it. You know, as you said, it was really hard for you. And, you know, for me, this was a house that we just built. We moved into this beautiful brand new house. I had like, I was so sad to have to leave the house, but I kept thinking to myself at the end of my life, you know, I don't want to go, oh, I'm so glad that I had 10 more, 15 years, 20 more years, whatever it is in this beautiful house, but I was miserable on the inside or I was bending over backwards or really stressed to try and keep it on my own. And whilst I had that, I guess, awareness to go, you know what, life isn't all about the house that you live in. It's about the life you're actually living. It's still her. And even now, Jacinta, people will send me like Instagram videos because the house that we built is a um, Airbnb now. So people will send me videos of it because it's got its own Instagram house, its own Instagram account. Excuse me. And I'm like, please don't. Like, please don't send that to me. I know what that house is like. I don't need that reminder that I no longer have it or whatever it is. So I still have those prickly moments where I feel a bit sad about it. But then I go, well, if I was still in that house, I wouldn't have this life. And yes, I am renting, but I am such a happier person now. Like I truly am so much happier and I look at the boys and they're so happy and I just think, yeah, that was a good trade. It was a brave trade. And I know what you mean. Oh, my gosh, Carly, I can't imagine having the Instagram videos sent to you. I still live in the same suburb as the house that we owned and I cannot go down that street. I get it. Not because I wish I was back there, but because I wish it could have been different. And I, when you buy a home, you put dreams into that home. And I envisage my kids growing up there and even talking about that makes me sad now. Yeah, and uh, I think it's, So I think it's, it's not about saying it's not going to be hard. It is you and I both sharing that, um, but it's about knowing that in spite of that, we had the courage to, to, turn, to take a different path. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it's worth just going, you know what, it does feel really hard and it can be really painful and it can also then be something that has to break so that something new can be born from it. Okay, next question. How do you explain your new status or the fact that you are separating to other people? (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of judgment, isn't there? Well, it's a while ago for me now. But it is, I didn't think much of it when I first left because I, I, didn't, I didn't have that stigma around single motherhood. So I didn't think much of it. So I would just say, oh, this is where I'm at. But you, people aren't overtly judgmental, but you just see it in the, in the expressions and also you see it in the invitations drying up. I talk about that a lot, well, not a lot. I reference that in the Single Mothers Social Club because can I tell you, every single woman that I interviewed for the Single Mothers Social Club talked about this social isolation and being left out and so on. So it's a thing. So anyone who is not a single parent, can you just bear that in mind and just be more inclusive of the single mothers in your life? Because I know you've all got them. And so I think I've gone off on a tangent. Your question was, how do I, how do you explain to people that you've left? Is that right? Yeah. And you know what? I actually think it's so unfair that so many people will look you dead in the eye and say to you, what happened? And it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm still trying to work out what happened. There are so many things that have happened. There's no one way that I can explain this to you at the school gates. Like, I don't know how to tell you what happened. It's such an unfair question that people ask of others that are going through a separation. Yes, but I have a thought on that. I think that everybody knows that single motherhood would be one of the hardest steps to take. Everybody who's in a coupled relationship thinks there, but for the grace of God, go I. They know that it would be really hard because it's hard enough being a parent with a, with another adult in the house. So there's a kind of cognitive dissonance. They don't want to face it because it's like facing what could potentially happen to them in the in the blink of an eye. And so I think when they ask that question, which yeah, you get asked all, all the time, don't you? How did it end? What happened? And you know, there, there can be uh, mock concern. I think they're gauging whether that might be on the cards for them as well. 
I think they're asking because they're thinking, okay, okay, so how, why did why did it end? Right, so that's not going to happen to me then. There's a, I think a lot of women, are, are a lot, not all, of course, that goes without saying, but a lot of them are in this fear of, oh God, I hope that doesn't happen to me. So they look at us as, as kind of. Um, instead of revering single mothers, which I think we should be doing for the incredible job we all do, I think they're looking at us with pity and also fear of let that not be my story as well. I am so glad that you brought that up, Jacinta, because I've had the experience where friendships have been so detrimentally impacted because the partner of a friend all of a sudden becomes fearful that a separation could be contagious. (laughs) <laughs> did you ever experience anything like that I can be contagious and I mean that in terms of people see you've had the courage to do something and then it gives them the courage so in that sense they they're contagious <laughs> but I don't know why they uh they run scared from us well I do know why because we've just talked about that but it, gosh it's so blatant have you experienced that Kylie with that social isolation and the invitations drying up as well the the thing that I've experienced the most is the pity from people, I think, and the what I have interpreted to be this almost like they don't know where to place me kind of feeling of, oh, are you now, now that you're like, I'm, I'm in a relationship now, but, you know, when I was single, oh, you're single, so you probably don't want to be invited to the places that you used to be invited because now you're single and you're off doing single people things. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> like, no, that's not the case at all. I'm still mum and I'm still your friend and I'd still love to be included. I definitely experienced that, but I also certainly experienced this feeling where it's like some people became uneasy with the status shift and I perceived that because they were worried that that could influence their own relationship. I felt it a lot from male partners that I was very close with the women where it was like they kind of just felt a little bit like, hmm, you know, don't don't kind of influence my partner that being a single mum is great or that, you know, you shouldn't put up with certain things in a relationship. That was what I feel I experienced the most. Wow. Yeah, that's put a whole new light on it. I hadn't thought about it in that way, that the, that the men are threatened as well by that. Interesting. Well, what I say, what I said to all of the women I interviewed for the book, and as I mentioned, it was a resounding theme that they had all experienced this is, I would just ask them why. I'd say, why do you think it happens? And no, it was like fun because none of us could work it out. I don't know. Is it the odd numbers? Maybe they don't want the odd numbers. And I'm sure they don't even know what it is themselves. Actually, Kylie, I don't even think they realize they're doing it. It becomes when you're a single mother, and I won't say father because they have a different experience. A lot of single fathers, people fall over themselves to make sure they're okay because, oh, wow, you're a single dad. How incredible. Are you okay on the weekend? Let us take your kids to sport or whatever it is. Women don't get that because you know why? Because everyone knows how capable we are and how resourceful we are. And so I I think that they don't even know they're doing it because once you become a single mother, you're just in a different category. So I've had people who I consider friends in front of me talking about the barbecues they had on the weekend and the gatherings they were going to. And they doesn't even cross their mind that maybe I would like to be there as well because you know you you don't fit into that category anymore and i think it's really important to tell these stories and share these stories because i wrote this book not just for single mothers but also for everyone else because everyone else has single mothers in their lives we know the stats so that you can maybe hear this conversation and check in with yourself and see that if you're being there for the single mothers in your life, just include them. It's really simple. You've got something going on, just make sure they're invited. And don't be mean. It's really simple. I, I have so many anecdotes in the book to about this, but one that I want to share with you really quickly is a, f- a friend who I interviewed for the book who was a single mother of two children, and she had it lived in a street where there was lots of other young families and they would all do things together, and then after she, her husband, she actually got him to leave the home and after he left the home, she would sit on her porch and watch the other families going up and down to each other's houses for swims and barbecues and things and they were not invited anymore. 
And I, and I don't think it's intentionally cruel. I don't think people are going, let's not invite them. They just don't think anymore because the dads get on with the dads and, you know, the they do couple things and you're suddenly just out of that loop. So can we all please be more conscious of that? And when it comes to explaining separation to others, did you have – a catchphrase or something that you would say? Because I know for me, when people I didn't know at all would say to me, what happened? I would always just say, oh, we just grew apart because it's like, that's a catch-all. It covers a lot of things. This is like code for, I don't have time to get into the weeds of this. I don't want to get into the weeds of this with you. So here's something that you can take to go, oh, okay. (laughs) Maybe this will suffice your curiosity. That's a good one, actually. I think that it's a a good idea to have something prepared because you often get caught uh, unawares, especially in those early days. And we can do this thing where we talk too much because we're upset as well. Uh, we, <laughs> she's Carly's putting her hand up. Um, we can be oversharers, and there's nothing wrong with that, except that you've also got to be careful whose information whose hands the information is getting into and that can create more mess. So what I think it's all about what protects your energy. So if you've got, let's all hope we've got some good friends around us that we can confide in and download the real story because it's important to do that and professionals as well. I keep coming back to that. It's important to get professional help at a time like this. So let's have those people around us that we know are in that inner sanctum that we can offload and say this is the real story But it's important, I like what you're saying, that we have another story that we can just whip out. I don't think I did that. I think I got, it was all, it was all coming at me and, uh, and I would not necessarily tell the whole story, but people would say what happened. And I'd say I had to leave home. I had to get the kids out. I might not go into more details on that, but then what that does, I realize later is of course makes everybody curious for more details and maybe we need, I would have been better to protect that energy around, around that story. At the same time, I'll just add though, I think it's important that we're open about these stories. Yes, and I think it's also important that we do practice saying things out loud because if we're holding everything in and we're so afraid of the reality of being a single mom or going through a separation and you're just, you know, keeping it all inside and you don't want to talk about it, sometimes just that release of actually hearing yourself say out loud, I'm going through a separation or we're separating or I think I'm going to be a single mom actually verbalizing it, I think can be really helpful. And I remember the first few times I said it, I would just try and say it in kind of uh, like very like everyday situations, like getting a coffee and chatting with the barista, like just try and drop it in there just so that I could hear how it sounded. Because for me, I had so much of my identity tied up in being someone's wife that just saying the words separated or I'm going through a separation or I'm going through a divorce actually was very helpful for me in building that new identity. Not that I want wanted or want my whole identity to be that, but just that acknowledgement of verbalizing it was helpful at times. Oh, I love that. And it is hard to get used to that concept as well. But the more we say it, the more it's going to become real for us. But also, I think the other thing to help in that, in this situation, is to be proud of ourselves. No matter how we arrive here, whether you are separated or divorced by choice or not, or whether you're a single solo mother by choice, perhaps different, of course, for widows, but even widows in this sense, to be proud of what we're doing. Because we talked about the stinger of stigma. We talked about the stigma of single mothers, but I don't understand it because we should be so incredibly proud of who we are and others should be really uh, revering single mothers for what they're doing. We are raising kids on our own or at least part of the time if you're co-parenting. That is superhuman. We're not designed to raise kids on our own. It didn't happen in caveman days. <laughs> there were entire communities around us. If you do the maths, you need two adults in the home, not need, but it is beneficial in, mo- in, in not in every circumstance, but most. And so uh, why can't we shift that around and actually be really proud to say, I- I- I'm a single mum. I'm going through a separation. I'm doing this on my own. And let's look up to these superhuman warrior women big-hearted, stunningly capable women of substance and purpose that single mothers are. 
Yeah, I think the stigma of being a single mother is so interesting. And I know for me, I had to really reckon with my own internalized stigma of what it meant to be a single mum. And for me, the single most helpful thing I have done, the most beneficial thing that I have done to sort of dispel that stigma just for myself is to understand why it exists and to understand why we do revere or why we do value women more when they have a male partner, to understand the history of it and to actually look at it through a feminist lens and go, well, hang on hang on, let me unpack why that is. That's been really helpful. And I think this internalized stigma stops people from leaving relationships that are unfulfilling and are soul destroying on so many levels because it's like, well, hang on, who am I if I'm not someone's partner? Yeah. And that a lot of that is left over from the generation before and we're still hanging on to it. So let's change it in this generation. But there was, you know, in, in our mother's generation, so oh, I mean, we're obviously different ages, but a generation before, if you were a single mother, God forbid, it was so shameful. So that's why we had all of these women giving babies up for adoption in the 60s, 70s, and even 80s. Um, they were They were just the babies were just taken from them really because they were told there was no other option if you were not married. And children who were born into a family where there was a single mother were called illegitimate, meaning you don't matter. And they were called worse things than that as well. And when you look at that language around it, it's it's going to take a little longer than one generation to break that down. And I think that some of that stigma is left over from that. So that's where we can become more conscious and just see how ridiculous that is. And then we get to change that conversation rather than carrying that on. And the, the, the stigma that you say you're feeling yourself without even other people putting it onto us, we're feeling it, that comes from outside. Internally, if you're really honest with ourselves in this situation, we will find that pride and the joy even in, in having, being able to do this, to being able to live in a society where it's okay to raise kids on your own and it's actually entirely possible. How far we've come in a generation where it wasn't okay and it wasn't possible before. So let's embrace that. And now what we have to do is just shift the narrative. That's easy. We can just do that now by conversations like this and by conversations with each other and about how we look after the single mothers in our lives. Therefore, in one generation, we'll be able to completely change the story around that to it not being a, a negative thing or being the end of your life, but being a, a wonderful, empowered life choice. Which leads me nicely to my next question, how to thrive as a single parent? Uh, because it is a great opportunity to see it through that lens. It can be the making of us, not the breaking of us, and we get to decide on that. We get to rewrite that story. I have a chapter in the book where I talk about our unmapped futures. And what I mean by that is when you are married or in a partnership with children, pretty much your plan is set. I mean, things are going to change and you might do take different courses in your life and move to different cities or whatever. But you that that sort of you can see how it's going to play out. And when you are a single mother, you get to write that chapter yourself. There's no other adult around you to write it with you. So you get to decide how life's going to be. You get to control the thermostat of emotions in your home. You get to set the rules for your home. I, I remember that being one of the most exciting things sitting down with my boys and saying, this is how it's going to be because I had, could now do that. So I think when when you when you are a single mother, no matter how you got there, it's a reckoning. Something's happened. It's not plan A. Let's all be honest, even single mothers by choice, it probably wasn't plan A originally. Of course, there are exceptions, but it, it probably wasn't. And so when we're faced with our plan B or C or D or whatever it is, then there is a moment where you have to do some self-analysis and go, how did I get here? But in that, oh, I'm so passionate about that because in that, in that, sitting in that where life isn't how I thought it was going to go is a great opportunity to step up and grow. And I think big life circumstances like this alter us. Of course they do. And we get to decide how. You can make it a negative story and you can spiral down. We've all seen those. Or you can make it a positive shift and em embrace the life that we have after that. Yeah, and if you're in 
a stage at the moment where you're feeling overwhelmed and you can't quite see that hope or that light, just know that you're not doomed. It's not how you're going to feel forever. You will move through things. Things will ever so slightly start to shift and it will become one of those cataclysmic life events that gives you a rebirth opportunity and you come out of it with a new identity, with a skill set that you never thought was possible and with a real, I think, faith in yourself. Yeah, if you can if you can do this, if you can raise kids on your own or part thereof, you can do anything. Yeah. And there's lots of upsides to being a single mum too. And I don't think we talk about those enough. I can I can just list a few now that a lot of the single mothers I spoke to in the book talked about. One is autonomy that you get to make those decisions in the home. You can find your strength that you didn't know you were capable of before. Often when there's another adult in the house, we don't know what we're capable of because we defer to them. The bond with your kids. I'm just I'm listing this really quickly, but we can go through any of them more in detail. You get to be a role model for your kids because they look to you and see the the, the difficult choices you've made and what a legend you are that you're doing all of this on your own. And you get time to yourself if you're a co-parent, don't you? Valuable time to yourself. And one other thing I would say is that being a single parent will shape your kids. They get the lessons early. It's going to be tough for them and that's what we try to shield them from and that's what I meant. That's what I would lie awake crying about at night. That's what broke me is not the, the relationship, no, not at all. It was the um, what does this mean for my children's future and are they going to be okay? And I have to trust, again, the long game that what they've been through because they've been through a lot but it's going to shape them and teach them those resilience lessons early and uh, help them to understand that you have to go through hard stuff to grow on the other side. They can learn all that now instead of later because everyone's going to learn it at some point. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? I just so relate. I know that feeling of lying in bed crying and feeling guilt and feeling responsible and feeling so much worry for your children currently and also for the future version of your kids. But something I did find comforting was that I would have these moments where like I would be listening to a podcast episode with someone who is really renowned in their field and they would reflect on their childhood and share something like, oh, my mum was a single mum and we were best friends or, you know, I watched my mum go through really hard things. And I'm like, oh, there it is. Like you get to listen to people that have been through it and they're fine. Sure, it's 20, 30, 40 years later or whatever it is. But it's like, you know what, that adversity is what shapes us. Just like I said before about, you know, this Thing that you're going through that feels like it's breaking you can actually be your best teacher and your best stepping stone into a future that you couldn't have even imagined for yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I, I do in, in that's reminded me um, after what you, how you said you resonated with those podcast episodes, et cetera, is I look to people who are really well-known and when I, by well-known, I mean successful in their field. And so often you you watch, try this, they would have been raised by a single mother. It happens all the time. And I think that's because somewhere in there they found this strength and they had to make something of their lives and, you know, they'll be, they'll be uh, giving a speech somewhere or they'll, there'll be a story about them and, you, and I'll look for it. There it is. My mum was a single mum <laughs> and that gives me hope. I love that. Yeah, it's a nice through line. All right, last but not least, how can I feel like I am in a full family unit if it's just one parent and one child, as an example? Because that is family. And I've learned, I'm still learning this, by the way. I have to be reminded of this because I will still fall into that trap of going like, I just wanted a family. Well, this is your family and it's a beautiful family. You don't need anyone else. Sure, it's great to have other people around and you. it's important to create community and be a part of the community and foster those friendships. All of that's important. But this is your family and cherish that. And I, it's, I'm doing what I try to remind myself. I'm telling you what I remind myself to do as well. And that is to go one day these kids are going to be gone. They're going to leave home. It's scary to think about that, but they will. And so rather than lamenting and wishing you were part of something else, just enjoy this time with them. And that is a legitimate 
family model. We're not fed that story. We're fed the story that you're not you're not a legit family unless you've got two parents. It's absolute rubbish. And so just in, enjoy and embrace and be grateful for the family that you've got. Yeah. I haven't had the experience of being a single mum on my own for a really long period of time. Yes, I've gone through a marriage breakdown. Yes, I have been single with the boys. Yes, I've had all sorts of challenges that I can't talk about publicly. Um, But something that I did find really comforting in that window of being on my own with the boys, in those moments of feeling like, oh, this doesn't feel like a full family unit, was to actually then turn my focus toward traditions. That was really helpful for me in some way because traditions were so important in my childhood in a variety of ways. And so rather than focusing on what I didn't have available to give the boys, like I couldn't give them mum and dad under the one roof, but I could give them certain traditions that the three of us would do. And in a way that was so closely connected to my idea of family that that provided like a salve to me in those moments of feeling like I wasn't a full family unit. So perhaps for any listeners out there who are feeling that way, maybe you can turn towards some new traditions that you and your family can create as you are. Yeah, I love that. And also rituals right? that become those things that the kids can turn to and they can be really small, like having a story every night, but things that are are ritualistic for that home, if they're going between two homes, that's really helpful as well. And they're like anchor points, aren't they? Yeah. You and I could just talk for hours and hours and hours. There were a few more questions surrounding making friends and having a social life as a single mum. But I think really, if our listeners pick up a copy of your book, they're going to be so well armed for those sorts of topics. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, please? The Single Mother Social Club. Well, Kylie, you are in it, of course. And I interviewed Dozens and dozens of single mums, divorced and separated, widowed, single single mothers by choice, and I also share my own story and I interview a lot of experts as well. And I guess the point of the book in summary is that I wanted to give single mothers like a club, that the book is like a club for them to read that and see themselves, realise that, well, I'll speak to you, realise you're not alone Uh, feel that other people are sharing the experiences that you've had and also to give you that sense of hope that all that stuff we discussed, that this is a wonderful life choice and it's it's nothing like the story that, that society puts out. And I will add I also wrote the book for single mothers to be seen and validated and supported by others as well and to make room for those single mothers in your life and to embolden anyone who's thinking about it as well, by the way. And we know that you have a love of books. Tell me about your book club. Yeah, I recently started my own book club. It's called The Spiritual Book Club. And I did that because I love Reese Witherspoon's book club and I thought, I want one too. And <laughs> and I, I want know she to, did. <laughs> yeah, if she can do it, I can do it. I am joking on that front. But I wanted to create a book, uh, a book club for just spiritual books. And by that, I mean, you know, like The Alchemist, Eckhart Tolle, um, Deepak Chopra, Gabby Bernstein, all of those books about changing your life and and trusting in a higher source and manifesting and realizing that we're all part of something bigger and all of those, you know, so-called spiritual concepts, but really just inspiration. So I created the book club that I wanted because I love those kinds of books. And so I interview authors, I interviewed Deepak Chopra the other day and people in the book club, we get together every month and, and talk to an author and and all read the same kinds of books so that because we're all interested in in shifting our lives and stepping up and elevating our lives and that's what this is about when you were going through your hardest times in your separation was there one book that just really spoke to you that you would love to recommend to our listeners actually yes and you as you know have not prepped this question with me and Sometimes those questions are hard because you think, oh, what's the book? I do know instantly what it was. It's called When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. And she's a Buddhist nun 
And it's a beautiful book about when things fall apart. A friend gave it to me when things were falling apart. It's about what to do about that. And a lot of it is about diving into the darkness and really feeling those feelings. It might not be what you want to hear. You think, I want an easy fix. There's no easy fix. You have to actually trust that the struggle and the suffering that you're going through at that time is necessary and is necessary for your growth. So so rather than rail against that and try to put Band-Aids over it and try to have your escape routes, you know, with drinking alcohol or, or your phone or gossiping or whatever the escape routes are, don't go for those escape routes. Sit in the suffering because it's only through there that you will come out the other side. And so that book gave me so much strength, lots of other ones as well. But if I had to recommend one, oh, no, I'm going to recommend two because the other one is called The Spiritual Divorce. Um, by, I'm looking at it, but I can't see the author, uh, Debbie Ford, I think it is, The Spiritual Divorce. And that's about um, being conscious and growing again through divorce and separation. Wonderful. I'll make sure we have links in our show notes to your spiritual book club, your own book, also your social media handles and the books that you just suggested as well so that our listeners can find them easily. But I really hope that today's conversation has been really helpful for listeners out there who have found themselves in fear of what's to come and in fear of change. And I will say that it's really painful, it's really hard, and at the same time, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I went through my divorce and I will echo the sentiments of all of the women that you have spoken to. And I will just say that whilst the divorce was incredibly painful, had I known that this version of me was on the other side, I think I would have been more at peace through all of that pain. Yeah, if, we, if only we had the crystal ball, but then you have to go through it to, to learn that. No one can tell you that. You've got to find it out for yourself. Jacinta, thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing. I really appreciate your time. I really enjoyed this conversation, Kylie. Thank you so much. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.